Welcome to the Fresh RN Podcast. The information contained in this podcast is meant to supplement your existing knowledge and not replace it. Always refer to your state board of nursing, standards of care, and respective institutions' policies to guide your practice. All identifying patient details have been changed to protect their privacy and remain compliant with the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. Thanks, nurses. Stay fresh. Picture this. These quote-unquote sacred cows. <laughs> I just want to watch you struggle with those more. What's going on with patients? Well, I wouldn't have blame. Anyway, that's my story. Number one, nobody's going to talk Inspire me, Elizabeth. Are you ready, Lassie? What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. I am Katie Cleaver. Hey, guys. My name is Elizabeth Mills. <laughs> and I'm Melissa Stafford. Today, we're going to talk about some patients that we will never forget. Um, we are going to talk patient situations. So keep in mind, we are going to change some details to, you know, for HIPAA stuff. But truly, the essence of the story is not going to change. But we're just going to talk about some things that happened to us that were incredibly impactful to us. And Elizabeth is going to go ahead and start out. Um, so this particular situation happened to me as a nurse, a brand new nurse. I think I'd only been a nurse for maybe a year. And I came onto my shift that night. And what happened was I had originally been called off, uh, for the first four hours. And then like at 645, they're like, no, we need you to come in. So I was actually late getting to work. I didn't get to work till about maybe a little after 730, 745. Um, so I walked in, was getting report, um, had gotten a patient back from the cath lab who had just had like a diagnostic heart cath, no big deal. And then had gotten report on another patient. I had like a total of four patients, I think. Then I had gotten another a report on another patient who had not had any urine output all day and had lost their IV access around like four o'clock in the afternoon. And the doctor had ordered some IV Lasix for that patient around four o'clock that afternoon. And we had yet to get IV access. And so that patient therefore had yet to get any Lasix. And there were other, obviously other things. I, I got more information than just that, but those were the two things that stuck out in my mind. So I go to check out my patients and I walk into, um, my patient who had just come back from the cath lab to assess him and he is like diaphoretic sweating profusely breathing super fast um we take his vital signs his heart rate's like 130 140 and I'm like what the heck is going on it had been a clean heart cath so nothing was found so I'm like this guy's not having an MI is this guy bleeding from his you know from his cath site you know what's going on immediately called the cardiologist waiting for the cardiologist to call me back meanwhile the nursing assistant comes to me and the patient who has not peed all day or had any urine output all day she comes to me and she's like I, I can't get I can't get this patient's blood pressure and I'm like what do you mean you can't get this patient's blood pressure go try again I'm literally I'm not I'm not taking it seriously and I had been in that patient's room and the patient was awake and talking, but the patient was confused. Um, but did not look to be in any acute distress. So anyway, this other patient who clearly looks like something's wrong with them, um, 
I'm waiting for the cardiologist to come over and the cardiologist goes in the room with me and he's like, this patient doesn't look good. Let's do some labs. Let's do this. Let's do an EKG, da, 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 whole set of stuff. And I'm like focused on this one particular patient. Meanwhile, that nursing assistant comes back to me and says, Elizabeth, I've tried getting the blood pressure in the other arm, the other leg. Um, I've tried a manual blood pressure. I can't get a blood pressure on this patient. And I'm clearly thinking, why not? I mean, like, I'm kind of frustrated with the nursing assistant at this point because I'm like, how can you not get a blood pressure? My That patient should have a blood pressure, right? The patient's talking. So, meanwhile, the cardiologist is like, I think this patient, my post-cath patient, he's like, I think this guy's carrying code. And I'm like, oh, you know, what do I do? And so, um, we end up transferring this patient, that particular patient, to a step-down floor. Meanwhile, while I'm getting the patient ready to move, I've, I've, I've called, I've asked my charge nurse to go in and try an IV on this lady so that she can get Lasix. And um, the charge nurse can't do it. So meanwhile, I still don't have a vital sign. Like, I still don't have a blood pressure on this patient. Um, I called the nursing supervisor because that was the next step was to see if they could come in and get an IV. The nursing supervisor comes. I transfer my other patient to higher level of care. And it takes me a little bit of time because when we get the patient over, there's like all these things that the patient needs. So I'm helping the nurse on the other floor get this patient things that they need. Not caring for my other patient who doesn't have a blood pressure. Come back and um, finally get a chance to look at the patient's chart. I come back to sort of the other lady and... The patient hasn't had a blood pressure since 8 o'clock in the morning. And the blood pressure was like 85 over 50. So. Wait, the 8, the, the eight o'clock one was 85 over 50? Like yeah, the, the last 8 a.m. One. one. Okay, okay. So it's been over 12 hours because it's almost 9.30 by the time. this. So it's almost 12 hours since a blood pressure was documented. Um, I walk in. The charge nurse is in the room. The supervisor's in the room. Like, you have all these people in the room. The intensivist walks in, and he's like, what's going on with this patient? And I literally don't know what to say because I don't have anything to say other than, you know, we haven't been able to get a blood pressure. Meanwhile, they get a Doppler, and this lady's blood pressure is like 65. So she's transferred to the ICU. Um, she's in severe septic shock. Um, 24, 24 hours later, she's... She's dead. She's gone. Um, basically, what had happened was <clears throat> she had gone into septic shock that night when they took her to the ICU. They immediately got her intubated. Once again, she doesn't have the, the classic clinical picture. Like, to me, she doesn't look like she's in any acute distress. However, she doesn't have a blood pressure, so that's that's telltale sign. But she's not like, like writhing in pain she's awake and talking to me but sometimes that's always that may be the last thing that, that kind of goes before something really bad happens all right so um come to find out that patient had moved to the icu and um went for a ct scan of the abdomen and had ischemic bowel and they took that patient that night to surgery and literally opened her up and there was nothing they could do her whole gut was dead dead bowel and there's when all of that there's nothing like so she was in multi-system organ failure her kidneys had shut down 
Um, obviously, she had intestinal uh, ischemic bowel. Um, she was in heart failure. I mean, she had the whole nine yards, the whole thing. But I remember the biggest thing, uh, takeaway was, another thing, another telltale sign was I had also gotten in a report that she had had multiple um, episodes of vomiting like bile, green bile, which is not a good sign, which is not normal, I guess. Um, and I don't remember a whole lot more other than that, but I guess my thing, the biggest thing I took away from that night was, oh my gosh, like I literally had two patients crashing at the same time. And meanwhile, the other patient that moved to the step down unit was going into withdrawals. So that's why they, even though I didn't know it, but what had happened was that patient was, had a long history of drug and alcohol abuse the patient had actually been in the hospital for only 24 hours and the patient was was going into withdrawals so they were able to manage that that patient survived but I guess my thing was uh, I had had these two patients one was probably way more acutely ill than this other patient but this other patient had such drastic visible symptoms and I you know I I brushed off the nursing assistant telling me she couldn't get a blood pressure. Like, you know, what What do you mean you can't get a blood pressure? Mm-hmm. And I should have probably taken a step back and said, okay, well, what was the blood pressure earlier in the day? Things like that. And, you know, the patient had not had any urine output all day. That's a telltale sign if your patient's not made any urine. Something's not right. So um, that's my, like, story of kind of septic shock and how nasty it is and how quickly it can take a patient's life and how as nurses we're the eyes and ears and I don't know what the nurse before me had reported to the physician I'm, I'm not really sure I can't remember but um, it stuck with me because you know um, what could we have done to maybe get this patient what they needed sooner and quicker and you know confusion altered mental status that's now part of the criteria now for helping suggest sepsis um she was confused and so um anyway I I just I've never forgotten one because that's literally like only I've only had maybe a handful of times where I've had two patients crashing at once um and you know but obviously this lady was probably way more unstable than this guy but you know, at least this guy had a heart rate and a decent blood pressure. Yeah, he could just be more vocal about it. She Well, he had, I mean, he, you know, he was tachycardic. So I, part of me was thinking, what if he's bleeding internally? Mm. I did think that, you know, but then I'm not really paying attention to the fact that. And I, um, I didn't engage my charge nurse very much, which I should have. Mm. I should have said, hey, I need your help. Yes, I asked her to come start an IV. But, you know, she, I don't don't think I really explained how sick. You know what I've realized is that not everybody can pick up on our urgency or overwhelmedness. I've had times where I felt like I need help. And why can't they? I don't know. Did you feel like you needed help, but you. I did not feel like that particular patient. She, there was a big sense of urgency. I was like, I need to get her. I need to get her. First of all, I need to get in that room so I can get a blood pressure on her. And second of all, she needs an IV because she needs some Lasix. Mm -hmm. But no, she, 
was in shock and she was dying and she needed fluid and she needed pressors and she needed, she needed, needed she needed ICU. Yeah. Um, that patient, the other patient, I felt urgency far more with that other patient. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, my other two patients, I did not see till about 11 o'clock that night. Mm -hmm. That's how how it happens. So anyway, um, biggest takeaways is. One, listen to your nursing assistants. Pay attention to your CNAs. If, if, if you know, if they sense some urgency in a situation, because I remember that CNA was just like, you know, Elizabeth, I'm not, you know, not getting this, not getting this. Um, I should have paid attention to her more. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and also maybe I should have gotten more information report i don't like i said i don't remember all the things i got in report but nothing really stood out for me except she didn't have an iv and she needed some legs because she needed some urine output she didn't have any urine to be out Mm -hmm. because her kidneys had shut down and she wasn't you know she wasn't a healthy lady by any stretch but you know sepsis can be so easily overlooked Mm -hmm. in um you know on the floors so yeah. it's a big, big takeaway. Anyway, that's my story. So, <laughs> Melissa, you got one for us? <laughs> I've been sitting here still thinking about what story do I want to share? I'm still thinking about which one I want to share. <laughs> I think Elizabeth was the only one that was like, I know specifically which one. And I I'm... have lots of stories. I think I definitely shared one in our last in season one. Yeah, we have quite a, we do, we've shared some throughout, but I just, I could do a whole season of this. Yeah. Let me say, though, let me say that as a nurse, the most rewarding thing in this job is being present in the lives of people and patients. And no matter, no matter what you, 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 you're, you're courageous at what you do because it's not easy and not everybody can do it. Um, it's very rewarding. I feel like this job is a privilege because not everybody can do it. So there is something innate in us who do this job day in and day out that keeps us going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a, it's really a privilege to be able to do this job. It absolutely is. That's my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stafford, what do you got? Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I have so many stories. Um, you know, I, I think... I think I'll read. I think I'll read kind of a story, Sounds and um, let you guys just listen to that. Kind of picture this. Okay, so new grad nurse doing charge on the three to eleven shift with less than a year of experience. One of the nurses on the floor was an LPN. There's not a lot of LPNs in the in the uh, hospital setting these days. The patient had an esophagogastrectomy due to cancer that was far enough out from surgery to be on our med search floor. However, he still had an NG tube, a chest tube, an epidural, a Foley. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, that's pretty labor intensive for a med search floor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was asked to give morphine by the LPN who could not administer narcotics via epidural catheter. Checked the order, dose, time, everything necessary by policy, and gave the medication to the patient. Uh, Later, sitting at the nurse's station, chatting away, LPN was kind of listening in from afar. There was just something about the way he looked 
at me. So I finally asked him if he needed any help. And he said, I think so. That patient that you gave the morphine to, his stats are 77%. So you can imagine my response. I freaked out, thinking in my head, why in the world did you let me talk so long at the nurse's station and didn't interrupt? I started running down the hall to the patient's room, literally running. I get to the room, and sure enough, he's as dusky as can be, with a respiratory rate of about six, and I can't get him to wake up. I scream at the LPN to page for respiratory for a non-rebreather. Meanwhile, I run back to the Pixis to get Narcan, with a million questions running through my mind. Did I give too much? Was it too early to give it? There were so many questions. The list goes on and on. Keep this in mind. This was before the days of rapid response. I was the charge nurse, so there was literally no one else there for me to call for help. And I have less than a year experience. But back to the story, I got the Narcan and gave it to the patient. And looking, at, looking back, I'm pretty sure I didn't give the Narcan properly. I remember giving the entire vial at once when it needs to be given diluted and in multiple doses. Needless to say, the patient woke right up and was <laughs> screaming in pain. He kept yelling that his stomach hurt. I noticed his NG tube had come out about three to four inches, so I instinctively pushed it right back down. I apologized for his pain, but explained that I had to reverse the medicine because he was barely breathing. And at this point, his sats were back to, to acceptable, so I left the room to, to call the CV surgery group. <laughs> Scared to death, I'm sure. CV surgery is scary. <laughs> So as I'm recounting the tale to the physician, I get to the point in the story where I tell them he was complaining of severe stomach pain and I pushed the NG tube back down. As those words came out of my mouth, my own stomach dropped to my feet. <sighs> I should not have done that. They ordered a stat chest x-ray and requested that I call the intensivist to come while they were en route. When I found out which intensivist on, was on for the evening, my stomach dropped yet again. I think at this point, it was probably in the basement next to the morgue. While this particular physician was wonderful with patients and had and was a good physician, he was really not nice to nurses, generally grumpy, and treated the, the nurses on the floor like complete morons. The IC nurses received slightly better treatment, but not much. Remember, I'm on a med surge floor. So the chest x-ray gets done. The radi radiology sends up the film, the literal film, because that was before the computer, and digital x-rays. The intensivist walks into the room, sees the patient still doesn't look great, and I proceed to tell him what happened, recounting this painful story yet again. To say he's less than thrilled is an understatement. He snatches the x-ray from my hand and holds it up to the room lights. Now, I'm still very new, but even I could see that the x-ray was awful. You couldn't see his lungs. They were all whited out. The patient was whisked off to the ICU. I sat down with my head hung low to complete an incident report. I just knew that me pushing the NG tube caused this whole issue. I knew I was going to get fired. I had caused the patient harm. I felt very defeated. I drove home that night in tears, ready to quit nursing. The next day, I called a friend of mine who happened to be a CV nurse practitioner and told her what happened. Tears were just a-flowing. She told me that advancing the NG tube did not cause the main issue, despite how much I had convinced myself of that. 
This patient had developed ARDS, which is acute respiratory stress syndrome, and the morphine had zapped the little reserve that he had had left. She then proceeded to take the time to calm me down and explain that nurses make mistakes. She, looked, she told me that I had done the right thing to notify all the necessary people of everything that transpired. She also reinforced why advancing the NG tube was bad and what I should have done this differently. She also warned me about that cardiovascular surgeon, and boy, was she right. He never approached me about what happened. Instead, he wouldn't look at me. He gave me the silent treatment and would barely even speak to me for a very long time. I fast forward a couple of weeks. The patient finally got well enough to return to the med surge floor. However, he still hadn't been able to eat food. Instead, he now has a J-tube through which he gets feedings. Know why? Remember that NG tube that I re-advanced when the patient woke up screaming in pain? Well, when I did that, I broke the surgical anastomosis. And every time the patient tried to eat, it leaked out into his peritoneal cavity. I was absolutely crushed all over again. I did not want to care for him. I didn't want to have to look at him in the face. But I was told by several wise people that I had to. I had to look him in the face and accept my mistake and move on. Fortunately, he was a very kind man and treated me well. He did eventually get better and go home, but I don't know whether or not he was ever able to eat or drink independently again. To this day, that's still one of the hardest things that I've gone through as a nurse. Now, I read that story almost in tears because that was me. And that, that is um, a really, really difficult lesson that I learned. But what I want to also point out is that nurse practitioner, to this day, I am so thankful for her. She's the reason that I stuck through it and stuck with nursing. That situation was my break. It was, you know, that event that I really couldn't talk about. That was that event that I just knew I had to throw in the towel. I wasn't meant to do this. But because of her... I was able to actually understand that things do happen. And she was really the biggest influence, but I was also very fortunate to work on a, on a unit where there were a couple of other nurses that really surrounded me by strength and recognized that I was not stupid. They did not ridicule me. They did not make me feel like a failure. They did not isolate me. They really shared with me their experiences as a new nurse and and really helped me get through that. And I think that's kind of what I took with that is not, number one, nurses make mistakes. Number two, those mistakes can be really profound. But number three, having the right nurse support around you can really make a difference. You know, making making a mistake is is terrible. And I guarantee you that even that surgeon who wouldn't talk to me he was probably handling it better than I was because, man, I was just, I, I can't say enough on how, how ready I was to quit. I didn't know enough. I couldn't be a nurse. I mean, I just couldn't handle it. But, you know, having a nurse, having nurses there and very, very supportive really made a difference. And I've really come a long way since I've started. And I have them to thank for that. And part of the reason why I share that story and, and why I've worked with Katie on things um, and why I enjoy precepting is because I want to be that nurse. I want to be that one that says, 
yes, you made a mistake. Own it, accept it, forgive yourself and learn from it and don't do it again. And, and you know, I will never forget that patient till the day I die. I won't. I mean, I, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, there could have been a million other reasons why that anastomosis had broken. She hadn't been eating it anyway. So maybe it really wasn't that NG2, but in my mind it is. It was and it is. So it, it really kind of put me in my place and made me really accept the responsibility that I have. So, you know, when I tell that story because I want new nurses to understand that you're not going to be perfect, but you need to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I want experienced nurses to hear that don't be the one to isolate that new nurse. Mm -hmm. Don't be the one to ridicule them or make them feel like a failure. Be the one that that shares your human your humanity side, your your fallibility, your the mistakes that you have made. Don't just say the words, oh, everybody makes mistakes, because, you know, any of these nurses could have done that. And I would have just said they're just saying it. They're just saying it. But. The way that they enveloped me and really supported me through that really made a huge difference for me in my career. Mm-hmm. So that's my takeaway. Mm. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. And I think one of the huge things is, you know, you go through those mistakes and you go, and I think the most important thing to do is after you go through that process of admit it, learn from it, um, is releasing it. Yeah. Because it's hard to sew into other people and be helpful to others as they're growing. And then to continue to grow yourself if you're still hanging on to that guilt. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, you know, a really, prof- those are both really profound stories and in, in how that, oh. And I think it speaks volumes as to what we, we have to do for each other. We have to support each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, those after an event like that is a pivotal mo- moment, not in someone's day, but in someone's career. Because nobody understands what you're going through more than those people who are doing the exact same thing that you yes. are. I mean, you know, physicians, you know, I don't understand what a physician has to walk through every day. I'm not walking in their shoes. So, you know, physician, you know, and, you know, with when nurses, when they say nurses eat their young, um, it's true. And, you know, we have to be in this culture to change that. And, you know, I, I, people like will ask me, well, you know, don't you want to leave the hospital? Why don't you, you know, look at going and working elsewhere? And I think it's because of the people that I work with every day mm-hmm. that there's no other, I mean, there's nobody else I'd rather be be with. I mean, it's just walking you know. through that. Yeah. You know, it's like you want to be able to be that to those patients and care for them in that point in their life. But you have to have those support from those people. And the, that it's know the it. people that I work with every day that keep me coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think what's yeah, like you're saying, like a game time decision. I've got like three I could I could talk about. Um, I had one one patient, you know, the sometimes mistakes aren't just in what we miss, but it's also in how we react to people. And there's the times I get the most frustrated with myself are the times I don't stand up for myself. 
I don't like when someone treats me poorly, like I lo- I'm like, why didn't I have enough self-respect to, to say what I should have said in that instance? And as a new nurse, I think that you experience that a lot because you don't know when you need to push back necessarily. But regardless, no one should ever speak to you disrespectfully, I think. Mm-hmm. So I had a situation once where I had a patient. Um, he, she, he was a pretty heavy patient for like a, a floor. Like he had a lot going on. Um, and day started normally. And I honestly, it's been so long that I can't remember the original. Oh, he was in the hospital for a specific surgery. And I honestly don't remember what it was. And it was a vascular surgery. And the vascular surgeons were the attendings. But this guy had a lot of other medical things going on. I remember he had diabetes. I think he had underlying kidney stuff. Like the guy was just like kind of like, you know, had a lot going on. And it was a little odd that CV surgery was attending with someone who had such a lot of other stuff going on. Because typically, right, the uh, if that's going on, maybe the hospitalist is the attending and the CV surgeons and their team, they just manage the surgery aspect. But I guess the patient was admitted for surgery. So kind of made sense. But I went, I was, did my assessment and he was a little lethargic, but I was like, yeah, maybe he's tired. And I hadn't had my neuro experience yet at this point. And so I was taking care of him and, and my other patients. I think I had four or five others and I'm taking it, but he just, something wasn't right about him. I was a little happy that when I went in and I did my assessment and all my stuff, he wasn't asking a bunch of questions and doing a whole lot um, because I could get my stuff done quicker. But throughout the shift, he was just not doing as great. And I'd call the doctor and get an order for one lab and one little thing that the CV surgery team. And I think I was dealing with like a PA or an NP. And the patient just kept getting sleepier. And I was like, something's going on. And I keep getting this brush off. like, And there's no other physician consulted. And it's not like rapid. We did have rapid response, but I didn't know or think, okay, he's got a, he's sleepier. Like what else? I don't have anything else to go on. So, and I also was newer and scared to, to alert the troops because there, when they called a, a ra- rapid response, the hospitalist on call showed up, respiratory therapy and ICU nurse and, oh, and then the hospitalist on call, all his residents. I didn't want to look like an idiot and call in all these people when my patient's sleepy, you know, when really calling that is really important, even if you don't have something specific, but I didn't know what avenue to take. And I actually, I didn't know how to push back to that physician or that, I think it was a PA. I didn't know the way to do that. So I just kind of kept, okay, and then go take care of my other patients and then I'd let some more time go by. And I was like, gosh, there's something going on. And I finally got to a point where I was like stuck between a rock and a heart. Like, I'm just going to keep pushing, but I'm not sure exactly how. And he was like, oh, I want you call. We're sitting up at the nurse's station. And the patient's sleepier. And I'm like, and oh, I think he had stopped producing urine. Yeah. I was aware that there was a kidney issue. And I believe one of the labs, like the BUN creatinine, went up, stopped producing or trickling off with the urine. And he already had some underlying kind of kidney issue, but it was like they were monitoring it and they weren't really, you know, it's not like he was on meds or they were doing anything about it. And 
We're sitting up at the nurse's station. And I'm really frustrated because I am trying. I'm like at the at my wit's end, like kind of on the verge of tears. Like, why the heck won't somebody do something and believe me and and come and take a look at this patient? Like I was like at at verge of tears at this point. Like I it's not my responsibility to figure out what's wrong with this guy, but something is wrong and you guys need to do something about it. But I didn't know how to verbalize that. So I was super frustrated with the CD surgery team. And then like I'm sitting up at the nurse nurse's station and he's like, Oh, why don't you just call nephrology and see what they think? And I didn't know at that point in my career that you don't do that. If you want to know, if you want the input of a service line, you have to consult them. And the way that that happens is whoever wants the consult needs to put in the consult and talk to that person physician to physician or PA to PA or, but I didn't know that. And this PA had me call the nephrologist on call and ask him what he thought. <laughs> I'm sure that went well. I was already right. I'm at the verge of tears already because I'm already frustrated. And the PA is sitting across from me, kind of like you guys are sitting across from me, can hear on the phone this guy demean me. Like, let me tell you how things work at this hospital and how this goes you don't just call me and ask me for my opinion you put in a consult and like oh my gosh like uh and I didn't know what to say back I did not know what to say back and this guy's looking at listening to this conversation doesn't say a word to me and I I'm on the phone about to cry because all I want is someone to give a crap about this patient and I'm getting screamed at you know and I didn't feel empowered at that point to do any like I didn't you know what I mean like you tell an experienced nurse this story and it's like well I would have said blank mm -hmm. when I tried to recount and it's like I I didn't know what I I didn't know how consults worked and I was being manipulated by a PA that didn't want to have the doctor doc conversation that didn't have something concrete super super concrete to talk to this guy so he put it off on me who's been running my butt off all day trying to figure out what's going on with this patient and then I get screamed at, and that was, or I don't want to say screamed at, but demeaned. And I just went, I hung up, okay, 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 you know, and hung up. And went in the bathroom and just sobbed, like sobbed. Like, how can someone treat me like that? And uh, one of the experienced nurses, um, like, was like, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> like, you know, comforted me and stuff, but it was just like, ugh. I could not believe someone would speak to anyone that way, mm -hmm. let alone someone who's asking about a patient. And, and I couldn't, and I was so, that's, that guy's being a jerk, that's fine, but then this guy's sitting across from me, watching me get yelled at. Doesn't say a word to me, and doesn't say a word to that person. I was so upset, oh my God, I'm getting worked up thinking about it. And you know what happened? That nephrologist, PA, shows up on the unit, 20 minutes later, and this patient goes to the ICU mm. and on freaking dialysis. And it's like, really? I've been trying to do this all day, and CV surgery is acting like I'm crazy and annoying them, and then this guy's mad that I'm annoying him, and the patient needed it the whole time. Yeah, that's not right. Right? So uh, now I learned, number one, nobody's going to talk to me like that. I don't care if I'm a brand new nurse. I don't care if I'm brand new anything. You're not, no one's. One human should not speak to another human that way. Regardless of the letters behind their name, 
you can even if I'm wrong in, in what I'm calling you about, you can talk to me, you know, respectfully and, and feeling empowered to say something like that, no matter who I'm talking to. Um, and then also, I should have had a conversation with that PA. How dare you? You know, especially after I the outcome. Um, so you were right. Because I was right. Did you so, ever get an apology from anybody, by the way? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I didn't get recognition from the PA that 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 they allowed that, and the nephrologist, no, absolutely not. And the 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 his PA came and put in a ton of orders, and we transferred the patient. And before the end of my shift, that patient was in the ICU, and they were setting up dialysis. And you know, kudos for you for keeping with the doctor and calling him and trying to get more orders out of them, even if you couldn't identify what was going on. I mean, you were really trying to be a patient so advocate. Really yeah. And I still, I, looking back, I still feel like I backed down because I like, I let that guy talk to me like that. I can't, I can't. And I, and it just boils my blood to think that it, somebody speaks to other people like that, let alone when they're trying to advocate for somebody, you know, and it, who knows what was going on with that guy that day. I think I filled out a report. I'm pretty yeah. sure I did. And I think that ex that experience that like her coming to me was just like oh thank you yeah. still friends with her today Crystal Greist what's up thank you for being an amazing <laughs> nurse <laughs> but um, you know I definitely learned um, learned a lot and I felt that broke me down but at the same time it empowered me because I'm like I'm not gonna get treated like that and you know what if I see someone acting like that I'm stepping in yeah. Because that's not appropriate. I don't care how frustrated you are. You will not speak to me like this. And I, I think that that is another good example of how important nurse teamwork is. Mm -hmm. And really with all of these stories, the impact that nurses can have on each other. Mm. Yeah, that's I the mean, common thing, right? I mean, Plus each other. You know, whether it be a charge nurse, you know, the nurse recognizing that a charge nurse stepped in or, you know, Elizabeth saying I should have listened to that CNA earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, it a, a CNA is a valuable person mm -hmm. to have on your treatment team absolutely amazing you know the nurses that helped me get through my mistake and you know is are ultimately the reason why that I'm sitting in this chair today mm -hmm. um you know to the nurse that went to you and said it's okay Katie it's okay mm -hmm. and that's the kind of support that we need to give to each other mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it really really is that that is the culture that we want to cultivate and that yes. we really want to help grow and and really get rid of this kind of nurses eat their young thing yeah that's how we stop it and i think we need to be the change we want to be and yeah. you know so and yeah. i you know there's somebody was telling me you know um it takes strength to maintain stability or to develop stability so with time the stronger you become as a nurse the more in a sense stable you become in sort of crisis situations so you have mm -hmm. to really give yourself time to develop your practice as a nurse you have to be patient with yourself and there's no I don't think there's you can say well you know in six months you're gonna go from a novice or a beginner to a novice to you know it's there's there's you have to allow yourself time to grow and develop and engage in these things outside of the bedside in your hospital, shared governance committees, 
go to conferences. You know, if if, if you're really inspired as a nurse, take part in that because that's going to help you become a stronger nurse mm-hmm. and grow so that you can become that rock one day for the next group of nurses that are coming around. And encourage them when they're ready to quit. Because I think I've said it, you know, in 2020, there's going to be a large, if it's not already starting, a lot of our baby boomer generation nurses are going to be retiring. These quote unquote sacred cows that we work with right now are going to be retired and we're going to kind of be stepping into their shoes. And so these nurses who've been around for three or four years are going to be looked at as senior nurses. Mm -hmm. And if we don't take care of them now, we're in trouble. This country, I mean, this, I mean, healthcare is in trouble. I mean, medical errors are the third cause of death, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, so. So we, we, we've got to take care of each ourselves and each other. Yes. And treat others the way that we want to be treated. So. I hope that you guys were able to take something away from each of our stories that clearly pulled on our heartstrings quite a bit. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. I just hope that maybe after this podcast, listening to this, that maybe there's a story that you might want to share with another nurse that might encourage them or um, maybe help, maybe empathize with them. Right. So I just want to challenge you to go Connect do that. and relate. Connect and relate to someone on your unit. Maybe, maybe, maybe go chat with that new nurse and tell them one of your biggest mistakes, you know, and how you got through it and how it made you better. Um, I think going and doing that um, unprovoked, I think, may mean a lot to somebody. So I just want to encourage you to challenge you to do that. So thank you guys so much for listening and stay fresh. Damn crowd better hit the floor All the other fellas better run for the door Stop, drop, and roll with me I got the heat that'll make you